I want to um, I want to tell you something about who you are through the story of Israel being taken off into captivity in Babylon, um, through Ephesians chapter six, through through slavery, and and who I've just listed: mums and dads and parents and children and masters and slaves. And so we we are going for a deep dive today. It could be a disaster, so bear with me. But I I, I want it to be a bit of a gear change just from the more, from where we've been this morning. Not that that was. In any way less, but I just want you to stand up a moment. Um, and I want you to, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can say this. And if you're not, and you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, then by all means, stand and repeat this with me. But I think sometimes we forget that we are the subversive power of God to a world order. And we sort of feel a bit like resistance fighters. And we sort of feel like we're meant to hold the fort slightly. But I want to tell you, follower of Jesus, this morning through Daniel, the story of uh, Israel being taken off into captivity, through Ephesians 6, that you are the subversive power of God to the systems of the world. And so I really want you to hear this this morning so that as you walk out that door, that you remember that moment, that phrase, okay? I, not, it's not... I'm the hope of the world. Jesus is the hope of the world. But through the church, it's displayed. The wisdom of God is displayed. Through you and I and where we are in life and the things that we are responsible for in life and our position in life and all that we carry. If you're a follower of Jesus, Ephesians 5, the second part, remember we said, isn't simply about just behave like this. It's about in light of what Christ has done, now you are this and you're to live accordingly. But my fear for us is that we think, oh, it's about a series of behaviors, therefore. I'm a follower of Jesus. Now I'm meant to uh, behave in a certain way. Well, yes, there's a truth in that. We want to be holy because God is holy. But holy things are utterly like dynamite. And so to make you remember this, I want you to do something stupid like, come on, everybody. And, and you'll remember, no, do it again. That was pathetic. I'll do it with you this time. Okay, ready, steady, go. Okay, that's got the cobwebs. You can sit down. And you'll remember, now you'll remember that Sunday when you felt stupid going, because you, follower of Jesus, are a holy thing. And God has called your life, even in the simplicity of family, to be like dynamite to the uh, rulers and authorities and cosmic powers and the forces of evil in this world. Do you believe that? Good, thank you, Barbara. Right, so I'm going to start by just reading from Daniel 5 for a moment. Oh, the story of Daniel. And then I'm going to read from Ephesians 6, and then I'm going to have not very long to make a big point. Um, so you've got to go with me on this. This is the part of the story where Israel have just been taken captivity, as God prophesied would happen, uh, into Babylon, and they've been taken away, and um, that's where we are in the story. Listen to this. Uh, where should we start? Here, Daniel 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, sorry, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. Those were some of the holy objects that served in the temple. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought vessels into the treasury of his God. And then the king ordered uh, some of his officials to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and some of the nobles, youths in whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence, much, much like this. Um, and they also were taken into captivity in Babylon. And there they were to uh, be trained to serve the house of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar and his empire. And you remember that Jesus, oh, sorry, not Jesus, God spoke to them and said, I want you to uh, seek the blessing of the city. I want you to be good citizens. Now, sometimes, I don't know about you, but I think if I was taken off into captivity, I think my, my sole purpose would be to try and escape. But Jesus, uh, God says, no, actually, I want you to be, uh, seek the blessing of the place to which you've been carried, for in its blessing you will be blessed. However, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, or Belshazzar, in fact, at this point, held a great feast. So this is a bit later on in Daniel 5. He held a great feast with thousands of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. And he tastes the wine, um, and he gave orders. So he's starting to get a bit drunk. Okay, he's just had one too many. Um, he's a pagan. He's fine, but he's just having one too many. And he starts to want to show off in front of his um, thousand people around him. And so he sends out this order, bring out all the gold and silver vessels, the goblets, the cups, the wine glasses, which we bought from the temple in Jerusalem. And I want to humiliate the God of Israel. I want to humiliate uh, the, the nation of Israel in this moment so that we can drink from them and that my concubines can drink from them. So these vessels were brought out that have been taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles and concubines drunk from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone. And then you know this story. Suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and, be and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the hand that did the writing. And then um, we hear this as Daniel comes in and gives interpretation as to the, what, the, what the writing says on the wall. He says, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. But you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven and have brought the vessels of his house before you and you and your nobles have drunk from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and wood and iron and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hands are your life and breath and all your ways, you have not glorified. And eventually, as you know, the people and the items from the temple were returned back to Jerusalem. And so right now you're thinking, what on earth has that got to do with Ephesians chapter 6? Well, jump to Ephesians chapter 6 in your Bible. 
In fact, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and then we'll go to Ephesians 6. I want you to hear this in light of that story we've just reminded ourselves on of as Israel got carried off to Babylon and so to the holy objects. So Ephesians 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery or leads to uh, ungodly life. It leads to foolish, reckless living. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then, as Nigel uh, preached on last week, wives and husbands submitting to one another, loving one another, demonstrating Christ to one another. And then we get into Ephesians chapter 6. And here Paul continues what, what uh, submitting to one another looks like for the follower of Jesus. And he, he lays out some more examples of where this submitting, this sense of uh, laying your life for others, um, where that works out in the life of the follower of Jesus. So he gives two more examples. as parents and children and then slaves and masters. So he says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And I can see Andrew and Jenny already leaning over and saying, did you hear that? Um, so I will say that but one more time. Children, Obey or honor your father and mother. Um, and yes, I think there is a sense in which it's talking about children as you're being trained in life from a young age. But I think, we, you know, if you have earthly parents who are still alive, um, so too we should honor our fathers and mothers. And then he goes on to say this next passage, which I know has caused so much pain throughout history, and today, even in this room, there are people where this passage um, has a, has a, can, if we're not careful, feel like a opening a wound, a scar, um, because of our cultural ancestry, because of slavery, race, um, racial slavery, and, um, and that huge uh, challenge to our culture. And I want to read it. Um, and in a minute, we're going to just acknowledge that passage and, and say, but this passage too is talking about the subversive power of God. And so Paul says this, bond servants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with the good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality in him. And that 
is the word of the Lord. Amen? So, what on earth has Israel been taken off into captivity in Babylon along with the holy things from the temple? And children obeying their parents and, and fathers and mothers not frustrating their children. And by the way, kids, that doesn't mean you can now rib your parents and say, see, I, I told you I was right and you should have done that thing I asked. Um, and what has slaves and masters got to do with the subversive power of God? And I just want us to start in verse uh, chapter 5 again, verse 18, because that sets up this whole section. So do not get drunk on wine, for that leads to all kinds of reckless, ungodly living. That's not how you now live as followers of Jesus. There's two ways to live in this world. There's simply two ways. One of which is, I am Lord of my own life, and I do whatever I want that pleases me. I live as my own Lord and Master and King. And there's another way, which is to live with Jesus as Lord and Master and King of my life. And Paul paraphrases that, being filled with the Spirit. So don't get drunk on wine and find your joy in challenging times in that place, but be filled with the Spirit of God as evidence that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And then as Nigel said last week, he gives four ways that that plays out in our life. So he says, don't do this, but do this. And his four ways that that being filled with the Spirit plays out in life. The first is singing, as we've done this morning, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. The Spirit's involved. The presence of God is there. We remind each other of what Jesus has done for us in salvation that is a free gift of him to us that we receive freely. We don't earn it. And we remind ourselves as we sing, remember everyone what Jesus has done. It's why we are to gather and sing. You remember that as Israel came up out of Egypt and, and passed through the Red Sea, that, that sense of um, uh, freedom from their past, liberation from their captives, Miriam and Aaron sang the song of salvation, of deliverance from the hand of Egypt, the hand of Pharaoh. Singing is befitting for God's people because he's the God who saves. And we sing in celebration and reminding one another of what God has done. That wasn't even my point. I can't get those few minutes back, sorry. We give thanks. Oh no, we make melody in our heart. And we sing in our heart to the Lord. So that's the second one. Singing, giving thanks. Oh sorry, making melody in your heart. Giving thanks is the third one to God for everything in the name of Jesus. And submitting out of reverence to one another out of reverence for Christ. So those first three, singing, making melody, and um, giving thanks, you kind of go, yeah, I can, see why, I can see why the Spirit would be at work in those things. I can see the power of God in those things. There's times where we're just in worship and we encounter the power of God. There's times where I'm at home, out walking, driving along, and, and I'm just making uh, songs to God with my mouth or in my heart, and I just know the pleasure and the presence of the Spirit in my life. And there's times where I just I'm, I'm overflowing with thankfulness to God because of his hand of blessing in my life. And we kind of go, I know that the Spirit comes in those things. I know there's the presence and the power of God in those things. But how on earth does submitting to one another find its place in that list? How is there joy in submitting to everyone, <laughs> one another, in this family? I mean, this utterly smacks against our culture, doesn't it? We love freedom. Be your own self. Be true to who you are. 
Throw off the shackles that bind you down. If anyone, don't, if anyone tries to define who you are, tell them, don't, I'm canceling you out. No freedom. We love that in our culture, and we think of, um, we think of submitting as this thing of control and authority. And we hate that kind of thinking. So this, this verse absolutely um, smacks against us from a cultural perspective. Our culture hates this. And so my fear is sometimes we hear these things and we sort of feel a bit awkward inside because we're like, it just doesn't go with the age we live in. It's, it's, it's kind of like the antithesis of everything that goes on in our culture. And yet here, Paul is saying one way that you are to live as a, as a spirit-filled follower of Jesus, that you um, receive the presence and the, and the power and the love and the joy and the peace of God in your life is by submitting to one another. It's why he unpacks this one for 20 verses and he doesn't need to unpack the other ones. I mean, there's times to talk about worship. Of course there is. Absolutely. There's times to talk about being thankful and to encourage that. Absolutely there is. Of course there is. But in this moment, Paul is unpacking what submitting looks like, not simply because he says, now you're a follower of Jesus, you must live like this, but because it's a bigger thing than that. It's bigger than simply, now I'm a follower of Jesus, Right, this is how your relationships work. Well, yes, that's true. They do. But because there is a power and a purpose in that that God wants us to see. And so those are kind of, if you like, singing, making melody, giving thanks and submitting are, are literally habits, practices that we as followers of Jesus are to cultivate in our life. And they're a, a conduit for the presence of the Spirit to come and fill us and help us walk my spirit-led self, walking faithfully with Jesus in every circumstance of life. So often we, we want our Christian faith. Uh, maybe this isn't true for everyone. Maybe I'm just um, confession moment. But there's times where I'm like, God, if I could do something really significant for you. And then that would make a difference. If I could, if I could, if I could, oh, Jesus, if I could just go here, do this, see this happen, make this happen. Uh, then, then then, Jesus, that would be a significant life lived. But here's the thing. Isn't it fascinating that Paul says, actually, it just works out in the ordinariness of life. There's subversive power, spiritual power in the ordinary things of life. Just singing, what an ordinary thing to do. Giving thanks, what an ordinary thing to do. Submitting to one another, as we see in a moment, what an ordinary thing to do in the context of households and the church, and there's power in that. And so, sorry, I'm nowhere on my notes whatsoever. So Paul is saying, as we see now, that submission is a means of being filled with the Spirit, and that the Spirit helps us to Submit to one another. And so the question I want to ask briefly, not, I mean, it deserves longer than briefly, but I'm just aware of time, is in this passage we've just read, is Paul literally condoning slavery? And he says, look, as, 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 you, as you know your place, don't try and rise up above it. Just stay there. And that's, that's the way it is. That's the way the world works. Is he just saying slavery is a, is a de facto part of life and you've got to suck it up, sunshine. This is the world we live in. Just follow Jesus. Well, no, I don't think he is at all. 
But on a surface level, as you read it, it can sort of sound like that. It's an objection against the Christian faith often, isn't it? That God condones slavery. The Bible condones slavery. But let's look at what Paul says to this. If I can find where my notes are about that. So oftentimes, there are people who defend Paul and say, yes, actually, he was condoning slavery. And oftentimes, they will use arguments like this, that the ancient world actually run on a system of slavery or bond servants, that it was hugely common uh, in in the Roman world. One third of people were in in some form of slavery um, as their lives. And that's true. And that they'll say, it's a bit like if you took slavery out of the ancient world, it's a bit like removing from electricity from the modern world today, and, and society would crumble, or a bit like taking the internet away, and young people would crumble. No. Um, and, and in one sense, that's, that's true. I'm not saying it makes it right, but that's true that slavery was a way in which the world operated. And that sense of slavery, and it's not, it's not the kind of slavery that we um, often think of in terms of race slavery, the, the control of one ethnic people group or one um, kind of person to, by another. So black people by white people. But it's not kind of saying that kind of slavery. But the world did run on a form of slavery and people could actually put themselves into slavery even in, back in the time of Rome. So it's not based on race. It's not a sex slavery type thing. I just want to be absolutely crystal clear. When it comes to uh, race and slavery and the history that's relatively modern, and sex slavery and other forms of slavery today that are growing in the world, by the way. Those things are an abomination, and they are not of God, and we should do everything that we can to help those cease and to free people and liberate people from that. I want to be really clear on that. But oftentimes, as people talk about... um, was Paul condoning slavery? They'll say, actually, it was just part of life. It was, it was kind of a way that society ran. And it also, if you were a slave in Paul's day and you were to run away and then come back or be caught, you would be killed. And that's true also. You would be killed if you ran away. And so, if on that basis, the Apostle Paul has said, right, now church, now follower of Jesus, You are free in Christ. And if he had then given this instruction to them, therefore, throw off the shackles of slavery and and everyone's freed, it would have led to many, many followers of Jesus being killed there and then. You would have had a lot of dead followers of Jesus. And that wouldn't have been good for people. It wouldn't have been good for society. It wouldn't have been good for the gospel. And people say that Paul, because he's not outright seemingly objecting to slavery, or he doesn't seemingly have much to say about it, that he just accepted it as a reality of the world in which he lived. Now, I don't think that gives Paul enough credit for actually how he understood what happened in the gospel. That when Jesus died on the cross in our place, It wasn't just Jesus that died on the cross. It was sin that was crucified. Sin was nailed to the cross. Sin was buried in the grave and defeated. 
and Jesus conquered over those things. And Jesus' vision and transformative effect in his new community, the church is radically to be different to the world around us. And so Paul also said things like this. In 1 Corinthians, he said, if a slave can gain their freedom, then they should seek to do so. And he said, sorry, that's Corinthians. In Galatians, he said, there is now neither slave nor free, but you are one in Christ Jesus. And Paul writes, doesn't he, to Philemon as his slave Onesimus has run away. And he says, "Uh, Philemon, you're to receive him back as a brother. You're not to... You're not to um, receive him back as an inferior, but as a brother. And so actually, Paul is beginning to um, show, no, 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 relationships have changed utterly and radically in the church. So although in some sense, the, the, the world order of slavery back in the day of Rome, um, there's a truth in some of those arguments, that is not how Paul sees this. And also back in the day, Oftentimes, what happened was there were codes for how households worked. So there were three main types of relationships. As we looked at last week, there were husbands and wives, there were parents and children, and there were slaves and masters, or bond servants and masters. And those three relationships defined the home, defined the household life of, of their society. And Paul is writing, he's saying, okay, seeing as we, there's often these kind of lists of how are these relationships to work, he's saying, I'm going to write you guys a list. Church, I'm going to write you a list as to how your household should operate. But into this list now, I'm not doing it like the world does it. I'm doing it with all of these values of Jesus and his kingdom now being demonstrated in your very home, in your relationships, where you spend most of your time, where you work, where you relate to one another, where you, where you live life together. I'm going to write you a household way of living that, that will define life for you with Jesus at the center. And so that's what Paul does. That's why he's taking these 20 verses. He's saying, this is what it looks like now in the household as followers of Jesus. And so he begins in this passage we've just read to turn upside down the values of the world. And he begins to say, I want you to understand that you follower of Jesus. You're a holy thing. Just like those items, just like the people who were taken off from Jerusalem and taken to Babylon, and some of the items were put into the temple, you too are a holy thing. And I have, and Jesus said, I have made you holy. And I've placed you in your home for holiness. I've placed you in your workplace for holiness. I've placed you in your marriage for holiness. I've placed you in your friendships for holiness. You see, we don't just want the presence of Jesus that we have nice times of singing and that we make in our heart or whether we, when we gather together or just times where we say, I'm really thankful, God. Like We want the presence and power of Jesus because we need him in every facet of life. We need him. Secondly, because actually as we live out our lives full of the power and presence of Jesus, it is dynamite. It's explosive. It's like a depth charge in society. And so Paul starts to say this. He, he takes the patriarchs, which is a word, again, that our culture doesn't like. Fathers of husbands, fathers and masters. And he starts to say to them, you, up till now, you've ruled, you've held 
power of life and death. You get to treat your wife however you want. You're oftentimes absent from your, from your children, fathers. That's what Paul's saying into this cultural context. And he's saying, I, or Jesus, is utterly changing everything. Before, you thought you were at the top of the hierarchy tree. But now, fathers, husbands, masters, I want you to see that over you, over your ruling, over your headship, is another head, is another ruler, one who is far greater. And so you guys are now to demonstrate that you love Jesus and that you are a follower of Jesus. This is true for everyone, all of those categories of people. Also, yes, children, yes, wives, and yes, slaves. All of you are to demonstrate your followers of Jesus by submitting to his lordship. So a follower of Jesus is somebody who submits to Jesus and his lordship. I'm now not my own. I'm a slave of Christ. I belong to him. My life was purchased with his blood. And Paul is saying, but fathers, husbands, masters, you are now not top of the pyramid. You have a master over you. You have one who is greater than you. And you are to demonstrate service and love to those who in worldly terms are below you, who you oversee, who you lead. You are to care for them. And not only are you to submit to Christ, but this is utterly radical for them back then, and I think it is equally radical for us today, but you are to submit to one another including your inferiors, including those who you oversee, including those who are smaller, weaker than you. You are to submit yourselves to them out of reverence for Jesus. Because everyone is a slave to Christ if you're a follower of him. Whether you're a child, a wife, a slave, a father, a husband, or a master, you are a slave to Christ. And so you are to submit yourselves to him, but you submit to one another. And so as Nigel unpacked last week, husbands, lay your lives down for your wife. Wives, submit to your husbands. Both of those things are a way of submitting to one another. Children, submit to your parents, honor them. Honor them because that shows that you are a follower of Jesus as you honor your parents. It shows that you are walking by the power of the Spirit because you honor your parents. And as sometimes your parents say things you don't like and you have to submit to that and go, okay, your mom and dad, I get it, fine. You're being trained to follow Jesus. You're growing up learning what it is to submit. That honors God, which is a means that the Holy Spirit comes in and brings blessing and life to you. And parents, don't frustrate your children. Don't teach, don't train your children in the ways of the world. That leads to frustration. Don't parent with harshness and hardness. That leads to frustration. But show love and kindness and presence. Because that is a conduit for the Holy Spirit to come. And then, Paul says this, slaves, Obey your masters. And the ancient people that Paul was writing to would have said, that is great. Yep, we love that. Slaves, obey your masters. 
that many of them would have, would have cheered that on and said, this is good for society. We don't cheer that on so much, I realize. But then, in, six, in, in um, chapter 6, verse 9, Paul says this, but masters do the same to them. Slaves, submit to your earthly masters, but masters do the same to them. I was reading a commentary the other day, and um, this, this commentary said that is quite possibly one of the most radical, explosive statements that Paul wrote. Masters submit to slaves. Submit to them. Philemon, receive back. Onesimus, not as a slave who you're now going to put to death because he's run away, but as a brother. Not as an inferior, but as an equal. So, Paul, so no, Paul is not condoning slavery in the least. He's doing something utterly, utterly radical. He was a realist. He accepted he accepted the way that the world works. It's a bit like um, when Jesus was asked, is, it this, is this the time you're going to overthrow the kingdom? You know, as Jesus is heading up to Jerusalem, the expectation was he's going to, he's going to overthrow Rome. And then he goes and lays his life down. Paul accepted the reality. But he's not saying, well, well slavery is fine. Paul is not saying that in the least. He's saying, he's saying to the church this. He's simply saying, as you follower of Jesus. If you really understand that there's two ways to live, one of which is get drunk on wine, as the world does, live as the world does, follow their patterns. You can, you can live that way, but not as a follower of Christ. Or follow Jesus and be full of the Spirit and work it out in these kinds of areas of life. If we really understand and get hold of what that means, if we begin to apply that to our lives, Paul is simply saying that is where the power of God flows. That is dynamite. It's like, so what, so the reason I talked about Daniel at the beginning is because the holy things and the holy people were taken into the temple of another God, into another nation. And it proved that those things were explosive to the way of that kingdom that worshipped other false gods. And likewise, Christian, so too, you are a holy thing of God. You've been called out. That's what you are, a saint. You've been called out from the world. You've been set apart for the purposes of God in your generation and in your home and in your workplace where today in our world we work out slaves and masters. To your boss or to employees, husbands and wives, you're a holy thing. Fathers and children, mothers, happy Mother's Day again. You're a holy one. Mums, you're a holy one who's been set apart, called out from the world for the purposes of God. And as you understand, well, my role as a follower of Jesus is to submit myself to him, ultimately. And out of reverence for him, to submit myself in my relationships around me. We work that out in the church here too. As I do that, the Holy Spirit blesses me. He fills me. As Nigel talked about last week, I'm filled with the Spirit of God. He empowers me, in fact, to submit to one another. As we get hold of that, that countercultural way of thinking... It's like explosive dynamite. And just as it brought down Babylon, so too 
it actually shines like light in the world around us. It is what it means to be salt and light. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling in a world that rejects the things of God. And God says, but you're my holy ones. You're the ones I'm placing in your home, in your street, in your office, in your school, in your college, in the hospital, in the council. To go and be holy ones. To be dynamite. To be subversive to the way of the world. Not by just going around telling everybody what they're doing wrong all the time. But by honoring one another in your relationships. Yes, first in the church. Yes, first in your households. Yes, first in your places of work. By honoring and submitting to one another. Not always just doing that kickback thing that often rises up in our hearts. And so Paul is saying, just as, I mean, he's not quite saying this, but I'm drawing the point that just as the holy things were were subversive to a world order of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, so too it turns out that your relationships, your marriage, husbands and wives, I want to remind you, your marriage is subversive to the things of this world, to the order of this world. And you demonstrate God by submitting to one another. And so too, husbands and children and mothers and children, your relationship as you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ is subversive to the things of the world. And so too, bosses and employees, as you submit to one another and honor one another and treat each other with respect and fairness and kindness of God and honor one another, that's subversive to the way of the world. And so Jesus takes the ordinary things of life. He takes the ordinary aspects of family and household and work and he says, that's where you work out, church. That's where you work out what it means to follow me. As you live, you're not just waiting for something to happen. You are the presence and power of Jesus. And it's demonstrated in our relationships, one, excuse me, one with another. In the ordinary, every day of life. That is being on mission. That is taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is honoring to one another. As we learn to live with Jesus in the everyday. But Paul's main point in this actually isn't even to do with these relationships. His main point that I want to finish with is this. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Don't live as the world lives. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God. And as we submit to one another, that is a way by means of being filled. And it brings joy and life, and hope. So I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to finish. I'm going to bless us, and we're going to go from this place renewed in a passion to submit husbands to wives and wives to husbands, parents to children and children to parents, and employees, in our context, employees to bosses, and bosses to employees. And boy, do we need the Spirit to help us do that, to do that faithfully. But as we do it, out of reverence to Jesus, it's a means for the Spirit to come in. So, Father, I want to thank you, Lord, that you have called us out of the world and into your marvelous light, and that you have anointed us and named us as your people, your children, your possession, for your purposes on earth, and that you've set us apart to be like dynamite in, in, in seeking uh, to, to d- demonstrate the power of your kingdom in our lives in our streets, in our homes, in our workplaces. And so we pray, fill us afresh with your spirit. 
Lord God, that we may, uh, we may be motivated to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus, that marriages may honor you as husbands seek to lay down their life uh, to serve their wives, and wives honor their husbands and, and, and lift them up, that children and parents may, uh, for, for the parents right now who are struggling in your relationship with your children, I pray may the Spirit of God fall on you, that you would know the wisdom and power of God to parent with care and integrity, not harshly and overbearing. But children likewise, that the Spirit of God would fall on you to honor your parents. It would be a desire in your heart to kick against the culture of the world that says, I'll do it my way. And say, no, I'm going to honor and trust my parents as they teach me the things of God. And I recognize even just the language of slave and master is painful for many in this room and has shaped so much heart in our culture. But I thank you, God, that you have torn down every stronghold. Lord, every way of, of uh, people being set against each other on the cross. Lord, we're not ignorant of that, uh, that reality of the world we live in. Like Paul, we're not ignorant of that, but we thank you. In this family, there is now no longer male nor female, slave nor free, rich or poor. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And Lord, but I recognize it goes deep, Lord. And so we pray, Lord, as we learn to submit to one another, even in this body. Lord, we pray may healing come. May understanding come. May forgiveness come. May we walk free, not just a false fickle free of I want to live whatever I want to do, but the freedom that comes from knowing Jesus and the power of God. And I want to pray, Father, that you would cause us to be a people who honor you, who revere you. And demonstrate that in our relationships to one another. So Lord, we bless your name this morning. And I just pray for you, Gateway. I pray that as you go from this place, full of the presence of God, I want to pray that you would go knowing, I, I am one who, 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 is, uh, who carries the power of God. And that power of God and the way I live my life is subversive to the things of the world. It's radical in this world in which we live. If you want to know what radical is in this world today, it's following Jesus Christ and living life as he's called us to. So I bless you, Gateway. Receive the Spirit of God afresh today. Be motivated to honor him, to revere him, to submit to him and to one another for his glory and for our joy we pray this. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.